And as you're turning there, the 101 class, which is going to be on the 15th, is for those who have, those of you who have been um, attending our church for a bit, but you may want to know a little bit more about uh, what ARBC is all about. And so this is kind of a crash course. We have that. It's during our Sunday school hour at nine o'clock on the 15th. So if you're interested, please let us know. That's another way that you can use those connection cards. Um, also, I'm just very thankful that we can get into a new year and begin to start uh, going through a new series where we're going to be talking about the marks of a disciple of Jesus. And so hopefully we can all uh, be locked in, pay attention to uh, what God is saying in his word and be able to, uh, to move forward well in this. So we're in Mark chapter, again, number eight. Would you stand with me as we read verses 31 to uh, chapter nine, verse one? says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So in an effort to uh, minimize and declutter my office, I was cleaning out some cabinets and sometimes when you start doing that, you come up with a lot of history. And one of the things that came about was uh, back in 2017, there was a member, um, not here anymore, but there was a member who uh, gave me these two in a little Ziploc bag, li- these two little books. And she said I could do whatever I wanted to with them. So I did what any normal red-blooded American would do. I shoved them in the cabinet and forgot about them. So, what I, so I, I pulled them out and it, very interesting. So here's one. It is a New Testament uh, King James Bible uh, printed by the American Bible Society, 1865. So these were actually for Civil War soldiers to be able to put in their pocket and to be able to to carry into battle. I'm almost afraid to touch it because I'm afraid that I'm going to turn one of the pages and it's just going to disintegrate and just up in a puff of smoke. But it's just amazing. We're just looking through this. I'm trying to get... um, an understanding of what is being written in the front here, but it's so faded, it's hard to do. And here's another one, 1861. It's a songbook. And I looked up the gentleman who, because you can look up anything on the internet, which is amazing. And the gentleman that put this together, he was a United Brethren in Christ minister. And, the, he, and what he did was he was actually there to help um, many slaves who were running from the plantations and to help with the underground railroad to get them to the north and to get them to freedom and to safety. And this, again, was a song, Sabbath school songster. And there's no music in it. It's just words. But it's, 
as I was reading through this and looking through this, I'm just so thankful that the gospel never changes. Absolutely never changes. The word has, has, has not changed. The translations may have changed. I don't speak in 17th century English anymore, which is why I don't preach out of a 17th century piece of literature. I preach out of a, a, a 20th, 21st century because I want to make sure that the scriptures are understood. But, being that, but, but having said that, you read through this and you're one, your mind goes back. What was going on when a Civil War soldier was reading through this? What was happening what, what kind of crises were they going through as they were dealing with all of these things? I'm thankful the gospel doesn't change. The gospel is the same in 2023 as it was in 2022, as it was in 2012, as it was in 1690, as it was all the way back to when Christ gave his words to us, which is the words that we're reading even now. So the six-week series is basically going to be talking about the marks of Jesus. And our Next Steps team has been working through what's called a disciple-making relationship curriculum. Our hope is that by the end of this year, that's this year, right? Right. I was keep thinking next year. By the end of this year, that over half of all of you would be engaged in some sort of disciple-making relationship because Jesus has called us to make disciples. So what we're going to speak on this morning is, what is a disciple? When I was involved in a Christian group in college, one of the things that I, that I remember them telling me was they thought that a disciple was like the second or third step of being a Christian. In other words, like when you become a Christian, you're a Christian. But then when you start really wanting to get serious about it, then you would be a disciple. Well, there's nothing like that in the New Testament. We're disciples. The confusion may be is that Jesus called his disciples disciples. And thinking that, well, that's someone that is walking right with Jesus, who was there with Jesus. But the fact is, is that in the Great Commission, when we're called to go and make disciples, obviously these disciples that are being made weren't walking with Jesus at the time, because Jesus was going to be ascended back to the Father. So all of us who are Christians are disciples. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus yet, we're calling you not just to be a a Christian, we're actually calling you to be a disciple. We want to make sure that you are sitting at the feet of the master. And that's what a disciple really is. Jesus here is, there's a turning point here in the ministry here. And the turning point is significant. The turning point is talking about where, in in verse 27, where it talks about, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, you know, give John the Baptist, they give uh, Elijah, one of the other prophets, but who do you say that I am? And it says here that Peter is answering, you're the Christ. And so Peter gets it right. Now, Peter doesn't always get it right. But Peter gets it right. And so when, when, when it looks at this and Peter's feeling pretty good about himself, it's very clear that the Jews at that point and Jesus' disciples did not get the fact that a Messiah would be one who suffered. They saw a Messiah who would be one who conquered. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to have to be following the way of the master. And so that's what we look at here in, in verse 31 where it talks about, and let's, let's get to it right away, what a disciple really is, is trusting in the saving work of Christ. That's number one. 
You can use your notes. You can just listen however you want to do this. How, whatever it is best for you to focus on what's being said here this morning. You've got plenty of time to have conversations later, plenty of time to be able to talk and, and, and think about other things. Let's focus on what's happening now. Where it talks about here, look at verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Four things are mentioned there. Four things. That he must suffer many things. That he must be rejected by the, by the spiritual authorities. He must be killed and he must rise again. Notice the word, notice the verb, not may, not might, must. This is the way that it has to happen. And again, when they, like, we know, like, if we think of, like, Isaiah 53, which Isaiah 53 is a very popular passage amongst us in, in church world where it talks about the suffering servant, the Jews didn't read it like, like that. The Jews read it as if it was Israel suffering, not um, the Messiah coming to suffer. Again, the Messiah was to come as king and Lord and to wipe out all of the enemies. And that's where they were, what they were hoping. And so when Peter says, you are the Christ, you've got it right. Oh, good, Rome's done. We're free. But no, what he's saying is, no, this is how this has to happen in order for your salvation to take place. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul talks about as he starts off this resurrection chapter, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Of first importance, he says. So if we're churches, and we're not talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ frequently as a means of our salvation, as the means of our salvation, but instead, we end up going about, and this is our Sunday school classes as well, and we're just talking about how we can live a better, more productive life. Of course, when we're getting into the new year, we're making resolutions and we're thinking about how can we make, you know, make an impact in 2023. And, and we spend all that time talking about that as disciples and as Christians. And don't, instead of looking just forward, don't look back 2,000 years to where our salvation was accomplished then we're missing it. Paul says it's of first importance, and it must be of first importance to us, and it must be of first importance to the generations that we, that we pass along. Now, I could spend, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this as we get closer to Easter, but this is what Jesus had to go through. And it's no wonder that Peter had a problem. And it's no wonder sometimes that we have a problem with a suffering Messiah, because it may be embarrassing. I, we, we want a Messiah that, that is you know, that has everything together and is bringing us together and has this unifying figure. Why in the world would we want to be embarrassed by a crucified Savior that died like a criminal? We have to be very, very careful with this. So this is where we get to the second part. Is that a, this, being a disciple of Jesus means setting our minds on the things of God, not on humanity. That, that's, doesn't that sound obvious? That sounds so obvious. Well, of course, we're going to focus. But think about ministry. I mean, I've been thinking about over this past year. I have been thinking so much about what I'm going to be saying on Christmas Eve, what I'm going to be saying on Christmas morning, 
Well, you know, getting together these parties and getting together these gifts and getting together all of this stuff. And really what can happen is I can be engaged. I've said this a number of times. I can be engaged so much in this type of thing and getting ministry done and the logistics of it all that, boy, Jesus can really be put on the back burner no matter how hard I'm trying to put him on the front burner. And so many other things happen in your personal life that really get you off track. And then all of a sudden, we're finding ourselves thinking here all the time, all the time, all the time. But notice what Peter says. Now, Peter is going to help Jesus out here. Peter is going to make sure that Jesus, Jesus, you're sounding a little off track here. But I'll help you out. I'll get you back to where you need to be. There's always that guy in the room, isn't there? Always the expert. But check this out. Verse 32. And he said this plainly, he being Jesus. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I remember sitting in class sometimes. I mean, you'd have these professors that would have all these letters behind their names and would know what they're talking about. And you're sitting there in class. And someone who is a first year, first semester, first week student would be, "Uh, excuse me, professor, I just don't quite agree with that. You know, and you'd be like, oh my word, you're just, you're one weekend and you're that guy. But could you imagine saying that to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Well, I think we do it all the time. Lord, I don't like how you're operating. I prefer you to operate this way. Lord, you're calling your church to do this. I don't want to do that because if I do that, then that's just going to be a little too much. That's going to make me be out there a little too much. Just let me stay in my comfort zone and, and we got this. And every so often, people are just like, I'm not going to do that. Go tell people about Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Go make a, have a disciple-making relationship. Some of you, at first, are going to be, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. That's not what I signed up for. I would like to kindly respond, when you became a Christian, yes, you did. When Jesus calls all of us to go and make disciples, that's all of us who are followers of Jesus. Now... When we're looking at this, you see here, but Peter turning and seeing the, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Anytime we do something and we say, Lord, this is not how it should be. We read something in his word. I don't like that. He's going to turn around and call us Satan because what does the word Satan mean? Adversary. You're against the things of God. And we have to be really careful because sometimes we can get our information from somebody else and think that's truth. Some of you love, love watching Fox News. You love watching Fox News and that's where it's at. Some of you like watching MSNBC or CNN and man, that's where it's at. Because if you're wondering about how to deal with a political subject, you're going to go to that place and you're going to get fed. And you know what that means? It means you're a disciple. You're getting fed. You're sitting at the feet of, of, of whoever is giving you this information that's helping you to process you and helping you to process the world. And when Jesus is coming along and saying, this must happen, this must happen, this must happen, this must happen, and Peter says, no, there's another way. That's exactly what Satan does. There's another way. Not what God's, not what God's saying is the way. No, there's another way. Satan is all about getting you to take a shortcut. He's all about getting you to justify disobedience. He's really, really good with that. Well, I'm not, and I've said this one before. Well, I, I'm not going to have a, I'm not going to tell people about Jesus. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, there's no such thing as a gift of evangelism. There's a, there's a call to be evangelistic. 
well, I don't think I really need to go to church all the time because we're the church. Church isn't a meeting. Church is about people. No, he calls us to gather together. We, we are really good, really skilled at justifying away something to really feed us to make it sound spiritual. Be careful. That's why I'm asking you to be in the scriptures every single day. Find a Bible reading plan where you're in the scriptures every day so your mind is being conformed to what God is saying rather than you being conformed to what you think or what somebody else thinks that may not have your best interest. Those news outlets, they need to make money. And sometimes they're going to find out what people want to hear. Jesus isn't like that. He tells you what you need to hear. And that's why we need to make sure that we are before his word all the time. Here's the one, though, that we really need to, to soak in. Number three. We're going to camp out a little bit longer on this one. What, is, what does Jesus want from his disciples? Dying to self daily to follow the Savior. And so, whereas he said there were four things that had to happen to him, here's three things that have to happen to us if we're going to follow the way of the master. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me. Now he says, if. Not all of you are going to come after Jesus. You may have made a decision and walked that aisle and signed some card and prayed some prayer, but that doesn't mean you're going to follow Jesus. I mean, my grandmother used proof is in the pudding. What are you doing with it? Are you just relying on a decision a long time ago and then just cruising to glory? It's not stamping a ticket on a train and then you're just going to be on the train and here we go to my destination. No, there's a journey and it's a journey that God has called us to where we are following him and dying to ourselves every single day. Look at what's being said. If anyone would come after me. Let him deny himself. He must increase. I must decrease. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Why do, why do we have to take up our cross? Because he took up his. The idea, though, is that when you were sentenced, you would have a cross, and you were sentenced to be crucified, you would have a cross beam tied to your arms, and you would have to walk that whole way from point A where you were sentenced to point B where you were going to be crucified. And you would have that beam on you. And there would be this burden that you would have. And it would be a tough, long, hard road. But this is what he's called us to do. He's called us to deny ourselves. He's called us to take up our cross daily and die to self. Every day, every hour, something's going to pop up inside you and you're like, that doesn't belong. I know that doesn't belong. But our flesh may be tempted to give in. Oh, that's, that, that feels pretty good. That sounds pretty good. And then you do, and you're like, what did I do? And then sometimes you are, you're, you're, you're confronted with something, but you're in the word. And you want to follow Jesus. Because your identity is, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that begins to filter. Not your feelings, not your desires, not your whims. That begins to fuel you. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You get behind me, Satan. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm going to walk this way. There was a comedian who ended up um, losing about 130 pounds. And one of the things that he said was, he's like, one of the things that happened when I was eating was I was very happy when I was eating those three Big Macs at a time. But then about 20 minutes, I was really sad. 
So I'm having to make sure that when I'm sitting down to eat, that I, it may not be the happiest meal that I'm reading, no pun intended, but I may not be the happiest meal that I'm eating, but those 15, 20 minutes later, I sure feel better because of that decision that was made right then. We all have an identity by which we live our lives. For a long time, for me, it was, I was a pianist, and that's what I did. And, everything that, and, and, a, and a musician, everything that I did was filtered through being a musician. And then later on, I became a Bible student and began to get into the ministry. And, and that began to be, you know, my, my identification was a pastor. Now, what can happen there is, is that if anything comes across you that's not part of that, you don't feel like belongs, and, and, and you begin to really tighten your, tighten your view up. But if you're a disciple, you're a disciple everywhere. You could be working at a car place. You could be selling cars. But you're a disciple there who is selling cars. You can be a seminary student. You're a disciple there who happens to be taking some classes to prepare you for ministry. You, you could be a, a homemaker, but you're a disciple of Jesus. And, and so you begin to look at everything based upon that. Denying, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following him. So remember these three words, if you will. Deny, die, fly. Deny, deny yourself, die to self, fly to Jesus. Say it with me. Deny, die, fly. That's what we're all about. So anything that comes your way, whether you're selling cars or going to seminary or anything that you may be doing is worship. Because you're a disciple of Jesus. You have given all of that over. And plus, it helps you to look at other people well. Because sometimes if we look at people based upon our filter, man, they better fulfill our expectations. But if we're looking at people based upon the grace of Christ, does that soften how we look at other people? And maybe how other people look at us? It's all about the filter. It's all about the, the lenses that God has given you as a disciple of Jesus. The reason that this is so important, keep reading on this in verse 35. But whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? One of the reasons why we have a hard time living the Christian life is that we don't like to take risks. Following Christ entails risk. You start sharing the gospel with someone, you are risking putting yourself out there for, well, I may not know enough. They may ask a question I don't know, so I'll look ignorant. I may lose that friendship. They may never talk to me again. And the words that we begin to use, like the, all of a sudden now it's like, I, I, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of it. And then, you know, you have risked losing a relationship. You've risked losing your reputation. You've risked losing so much that the world values. And then sometimes we just don't want to, we don't want to take the risk. And so I, I'm telling you that when Jesus calls us to do something like this, he always makes sure that we're counting the cost. You, it, like in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew five thirteen to 16, he calls us to be salt and light. That's very positive. You're salt of the world. You're salt of the earth. You're light of the world. Yeah. Salt of the earth, the preservative. We're preserving the gospel, the light of the world, presenting the gospel. Yeah. Do you know the verses that are right before that? In verses 10 to 12 of 
Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see the words that are there? As far as being salt and light? Reviled. Persecuted. Uttering all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of him. Your identification in him will bring all of that about. But here's the question. Is being a disciple of Jesus worth it? And, I, and when you say amen, and, I, and I, many of you did, that means that you agree with this. But you've got to agree with it when the hard time hits, when the squeeze begins to come, when things don't quite go your way, because it's not about things going your way, it's about things going his way. We live in a broken world and things aren't going to go the way that they should, but we have to be sure and be careful that our purpose in, in this world is not simply to be happy and content. That's what the world is saying. That's the American dream that everybody is, is, is flying at you. And sometimes I think we as Christians, we try to appropriate the American dream. Well, God's good because he gave me this job and I got money in my account and everybody likes me and everything's going great. That's how I know God loves me. Talk to the persecuted church in Africa. Talk to the persecuted church in South America. Talk to the persecuted church in China and in India and see if that works. And some of these books that are being written about how if, you know, God's just going to bless you and give you all this stuff if, if you just follow him. Well, that doesn't work in the Middle East where you will be killed for naming the name of Jesus. That doesn't work. Well, what does work? Well, we have to realize Acts 14, 23, through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. This beautiful passage in 1 Peter 4 Verses 12 to 16, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, we as Americans think hard times as far as following Jesus, that that's strange. And we shouldn't see it as strange. We should see it as part and parcel of who we are. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. For you are insult, for if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his name. Michael Horton, one time in his book, uh, Recovering Our Sanity, he says, God does not exist for my happiness, but I exist for his glory. And when I am glorifying God, I am also enjoying him. Worshiping God is the flourishing of ourselves and those around us, so it is only in communion with him that I find genuine satisfaction, which can weather unhappy circumstances. I don't naturally know this because I'm a sinner. Rather, I have to be confronted with God in his holiness and majesty and accept that I am the problem. Then flee to his mercy and his son, and that he unites us to each other as members of his body, gifts instead of threats. So the question is, what's of most value to you? The world, which was never yours to begin with. It's his. But you want to, if you want to gain the world, then you're going to lose that very thing that will tr send you into eternity and will give you that relationship with God now, your soul. 
But if you want to gain your soul, you're going to have to lose the world. You're going to have to lose the, the desires and the reputation and all the things that the world promises. Because whatever the world promises, Christ promise, Christ's promises are far, far better and far, far greater. They last. Donald English said, if you clutch your life wholly to yourself, protecting it against all others, asserting all your rights and needs and privileges, you lose it because it isn't life any longer. There was a movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I don't, re- I don't recommend every single scene in there, but there was this time where they were coming to this crossroads and they pick up this guy named Tommy who, was, who, who played a guitar really, really well. And so the fellas picked him up and they started riding down the road. And, and, and Tommy mentioned that he had given his soul to the devil. And Everett said, uh, what did the devil give you for your soul, Tommy? And Tommy said, well, he taught me to play this guitar here real good. And Delmer said, oh, son, for that, you traded that for your everlasting soul? To which Tommy replied, well, I wasn't using it. And the thing is, you are. You are all the time. Your soul is the only thing about you that's going to last forever. You're using it all the time. It's who you are. And so why not make sure that you're feeding it with what is needed for it to live forever? Lastly, and, and quickly, we talk about how Christ, how number four, that Christ wants from his disciples to be unashamed of him and his words. Verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him I will, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, why would you, why would I ever be ashamed of him? All of us can think of times when we could have said that word and didn't, when we could have done that act in his name and didn't. All of us can think of people like that. And part of the reason could be, however we try to arrange the furniture in our minds, it could be is because we're ashamed. We don't want people to know that we're followers of Jesus. We don't want to be that, those kind of people. We want to, there, there's still a little bit of us that wants to fit in. And sometimes the cost of following Jesus and, and speaking Jesus' words is just far, far too much for us to be able to handle. But the fact is, is that he's telling us that there's going to be one day he's going to return. Now, I know there's been a lot of time that's passed and a lot of preachers have been saying Christ is going to return at any time. And some skeptics are like, well, where is he? You've been talking about it for a long time. I don't think he's coming. He is. He's kept every other promise. He's going to keep that one. And so when he, when he comes, there's going to be an evaluation of what we've done with him. And if we're disciples of Jesus, then, then that's our filter. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to deny. We're going to die. We're going to fly. And that's who we are. And everything... That, falls under that umbrella of who we are. We're disciples of Jesus. And we're going to make sure that people are going to do that. Some of you may be going out to lunch. I haven't done this recently. There was a spell where I was doing this. Whenever the waitress would come and give us our meal, I would say, we're getting ready to pray over our meal. Is there any way we can pray for you? Sometimes they'd be like, I'm good, thanks. And other times they would like really let down because something was so on them. And then we would promise to pray for them because we're followers of Jesus. It's, it's those things that you can put in there and interject without having to be preachy. Although I don't have any objection to being preachy. I do that at least once a week. I don't have any problems with that. But 
if you're worried about being preachy and that's keeping you from saying anything, then come on, let's cut out the excuses. Let's just lean in, be who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, let's be who we are. Let's not be ashamed because honestly, one of the motivations is when he comes back, I don't want him to be ashamed of me. We have a lot of things that we, a lot of ways that we can identify ourselves. But none of those things last aside from being a disciple of Jesus. You know, even when we get to heaven, we're still going to be learning and loving and trusting. We're, 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 still going to be, we're still going to be disciples sitting at the master's feet. Why not get a head start? Why not start doing that even now? He says, truly, I say to you, there will be some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about second coming? I don't think so. Jesus shows his power through weakness. He shows his power through his death on the cross and the resurrection. There's where the power fully is going to come in. His death, his burial, his resurrection, that which is of first importance. So here's the question I want you to leave with. And I want you to be honest with yourself. I mean, be honest. Don't give me the the, the church answer. Uh, This is what he wants me to say. Okay, I'll say that. No, don't do that. Be honest with yourself as you enter this first year. What is your identity? And does it have anything to do with Jesus at all? Not just about what Jesus has done for you and how he's blessed you. I'm talking about, are you a disciple of Jesus, ready to count the cost and take the risk that 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 entails? Is Jesus worth it for you? Is Jesus enough for you to where everything you look at, the way you look at the world, the way you treat people, the way you operate, the way you work, the way you do your schooling, everything that you do is based upon the fact I am a disciple of Jesus. And I am going to conduct myself as he has called me to be, a follower of him. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross every single day. And I am going to follow and fly to Jesus at every single possible opportunity that there is. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's not just a learner, not just accruing information. It is a lifestyle. It is following Jesus with all that we have. So really... How would you identify yourself? Heavenly Father, help us to make sure that we know where we are. To not justify our disobedience. Not to come up with excuses for disobedience. But Lord, to be a disciple. There may be some that are here that are not followers of Jesus at all. But they may be followers of church or followers of denomination, or followers of a political persuasion. And all of those things are substitutes and bad ones at that, Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us to get it right. Give us new eyes. Give us new lenses by which to look at the world. Help us, Lord, to recognize that we are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. You bid us all to come, faithful or unfaithful, you bid us to come to make sure that we are keeping our eyes fully and totally and completely upon you. Lord, thank you for the privilege of following you. And if there are those here that are not followers of Jesus, 
I pray that by your Holy Spirit that your word and your spirit would drill down and drive to the very core of who we are so that not only would we see who we are before you, sinners in need of a Savior, but that we would see you, saviors who save us from our sin. Thank you, Father, for all that you've accomplished on our behalf. We love you and thank you. And may you help us to answer this question honestly, who we are to take us to where we need to be. We are disciples of Jesus. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, we will be singing. um,